leading all of us into the singing to praise God and to bring all of us into the presence of God. Thank you so much. Now we want to continue to worship by obeying God's word, by listening to God's word, and always be ready to be teachable and say, Lord, here am I. Speak and I will obey you. You know, we're so grateful that in September, um, we are able to enter into a new church year, and with a new church year, usually we will have a senior pastor series. Um, this year is very unique, as I shared before, that we are entering into a momentous time of our church. In about six months, uh, by God's grace, uh, we will dedicate a new building, uh, uh, another worship hall with the capability of uh, double up as a basketball court and other sports activity. And in about six months' time, we will be celebrating the 35th anniversary of our church in 2020. And hopefully by then, we will also install some new leaders uh, for our church rejuvenation of new leadership to uh, grow together. But with all these excitements and before we launch into all these exciting possibilities, uh, we want to revisit our fundamentals. Who we are, why are we here? before we say, this is how to do it, and this is where we are going. And with that, I just want to reiterate to you, and many of you remember, that our vision is to be a vibrant church of disciple makers. Not just vibrant church with a lot of people, but people who grow deep as discipleship, grow deep in Christ. A vibrant church of disciple makers, not only we become disciples of Jesus Christ, but we make disciples of other people. That's a high calling. A vibrant church of disciple makers that reproduces vibrant churches locally and globally. Okay? Church plant locally and church plant overseas if the Lord opens door for us. This is a high calling for our church. And then we identify four areas that we can in some ways measure as much as we can what it means to be a vibrant church. So we preach in the first week about love passionately. Love God and people passionately. If we love God, that's a clear indication that we are vibrant. We are connected with God and we respond to God in a passionate way. And secondly, last week we preached about live authentically because Christ dwells in our hearts and we are new creation in Christ. Then our lives will be transformed. It will show in our lives. So we are not happy with just listening to God's word, do a lot of Bible studies, but we want to go beyond that and say, now we understand God's word, let's see how does it happen? How does it happen in our marketplace, in our lives, in our neighborhood, in our relationship with other people? How do we treat others? Okay? Live authentically. That's discipleship. And today, um, we want to talk about the third indicator of a vibrant church, that is to give generously. Have you noticed that the first two are so essential as a foundation? Because without loving God passionately and without the the call to live authentically, then who will give? Who will give? Who will give generously? Not possible. So that two foundations prepare us to launch, to move forward, to give generously and to go courageously. I know when we talk about give generously, naturally, you think of tithes and offerings. You think about finance, financial giving. But what we are really focusing on is Biblical stewardship. We're talking about biblical stewardship. And for that, once you touch on biblical stewardship, you must go back to God's creation, how it all started. 
and God's intention for us. So I want to bring you to look at the foundations of stewardship in Genesis 1 and 2. God gave four instructions, four commands to Adam and Eve when he created the heavens and the earth and when he created all the animals and the plants and he created Adam and Eve. He gave them four clear instructions. First is to be fruitful and multiply. That's the first instruction. Be fruitful and multiply. It says, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You know, human beings are commanded to be fruitful and multiply. So this is a clear call to productivity and fruitfulness, and not only through propagation of human race, but also for the kingdom's sake. You know, the concern for stewardship is deeply rooted in creation. You have to go all the way back to the creation. You know, some of us may think that Christianity is all about love and grace and fellowship and get together for social and other things, which we do have the elements of that. But Jesus' parables and his teachings uh, clearly emphasize the fruitfulness and diligence. And this is an expansion of the creation ordinance that his people are to be productive, be fruitful and multiply. And secondly, he says, have dominion over the earth in Genesis 1.26, which says, then God said, let us make men in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So the second command to Adam and Eve was to have dominion over the earth. And God calls Adam and Eve to exercise authority over the animals, the plants, the seas, the rivers, the sky, and the whole environment. And he made them stewards of the earth who were to act on God's behalf and for God's glory. Because of our selfishness and our sinful nature, we have failed miserably in this area. And everybody today is feeling the heat because of our negligence and because of our mismanagement of the earth. But God initially called Adam and Eve to have dominion over the heavens and the earth. And thirdly, God gave them the third command as he created the Garden of Eden and planted Adam and Eve in it. And God told them in Genesis 2 verse 15 that says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. To work and keep the garden. And the command to work and keep is key, is key to understand the responsibility that is given to human being, which goes with the privileged status of being made in God's image and being given dominion over the earth. It has to do with how we engage in scientific endeavors, how we do business, how we treat each other, how we treat animals, how we treat the environment. And that dominion over the earth is not a license to exploit, but a responsibility to exercise stewardship over our home by working and keeping it. You know, working and keeping our home, one's home means preventing it from falling apart. 
to keep it orderly and maintaining it, preserving it, and making it beautiful. That's God's call, to keep it and to work on it. And the whole science of ecology is probably rooted and grounded in this principle here. They are all connected. And fourthly, God gave the fourth command to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 2, verse 19, most likely to Adam first. It says, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. God called Adam to name the animal. And from that, of course, as you continue to read the story, God found him to not able to find a suitable partner, and God created Eve uh, in, that, in the result of that. You see, in the most elementary sense, this was the birth of science, which is learning to distinguish among species, kinds, and forms, and discerning reality as we examine it. And that's part of our stewardship, learning about the place where we live and caring about it. You know, these principles are not simply for one's own house, but also for the entire planet. God gave Adam and Eve four commands as he delegated responsibilities to them. So fundamentally, stewardship is about exercising our God-given dominion over his creation and reflecting the image of our creator God and in his care, responsibility, maintenance, and protection and beautification of God's creation. That's our responsibility that God has given us. And from that Genesis chapter 1 and 2, which gave the biblical foundation, now I'm going to point you to four principles of biblical stewardship that deduce from that teaching there. First, it is the principle of ownership. The principle of ownership. In Psalm 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world, and all who live in it. God is the owner. This is the fundamental principle of biblical stewardship. God owns everything, and we are simply managers and administrators, stewards, acting on His behalf. That's who we are. And therefore, stewardship expresses our obedience regarding the administration of everything God has placed under our control, uh, which is all-encompassing. So the stewardship is the commitment of one's self and one's possession to God's service, recognizing that we do not have the right to control over our property or ourselves because God is the owner. You know, C.S. Lewis says it so rightly when he said, uh, every faculty you have, your power of thinking or moving your limbs from moment to moment is given you by God. And if you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to His service, you could not give Him anything that was not, in a sense, His own already. You could not give Him anything that was not, in a sense, His own already. God owns everything that He created. The whole universe and the living beings, including you and me, God is the rightful owner. 
So in a sense, everything we have today, all the resources, all the capabilities that you and I have today, is on loan to us because He owns it and He delegates according to His will so that we can have something and resources to live on and resources to express our worship of God. And since it is on loan to us, then there is an expiration date, right? Just like the way you buy your food from the grocery shops, and usually you check the expiration date, okay? The, the longer, the further is better. At least you can keep the food in the fridge for a longer time. But there is an expiration date. And let me ask you, what is your expiration date? You think we have an expiration date? You think so? Yeah? How long? What is your expiration date? Some point up to heaven and say, God knows. Mm. Yeah, God knows, of course. God's sovereignty rule over, you know, how long we live and how much we can contribute and our expiration date. But you know what? To be real, to be real and to be honest, human being, our expiration date is any time. Really, it's any time. Because we have accidents. Because we have diseases. Because we have natural disasters. Because sometimes we show up in the wrong time at the wrong place and wrong things happen. So even though you and I hope that by now, with all the advancement in medical technology, that most likely we are able to advance all the way to 80s and maybe even 90s, as some scientific optimistically project. But in reality, the expiration date for you and me as human beings is any time because we just don't know. Anything can happen along the way. That's a principle of ownership because he owns. So whatever we have and the time and the breath and, and the capability that we have, it is on loan to us. He's the owner and ultimately we will have to return to God. So the expiration date is any time. Think about that. Think about that. Secondly, the principle of responsibility. Since he's the owner and he delegates and he gives and on loan to us, then we are responsible to make sure we do it well. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. And that's the gospel mystery. That's the mystery that the Gentiles and the Jews are able to live in peace with Christ being the peacemaker. That's the mystery of the gospel. Okay? He said, I am the steward of that mystery. And verse 2 says, moreover, it, required, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. And he defines the work and the job description of a steward. A steward is to be found faithful. That we will faithfully exercise whatever God has given us. See, God owns everything and we are responsible for how we treat it and how we do with it. You know why we complain about our rights here on earth, especially for those of, you, uh, of us who live in the U.S.? The Bible constantly asks, what about your responsibilities? Put it in a biblical mindset. Put it in a biblical context. While we keep talking about my rights here, but the Bible keeps challenging us and constantly asking, what about your responsibility? Remember this, owners have rights, 
Stewards have responsibility. Right? Let me say it again. It's important. Write it down. Owners have rights, but stewards have responsibilities. God is the owner. He has the rights. We are the stewards. We have the responsibilities. And we are called as God's stewards to manage that which belongs to God. And while God has graciously entrusted us with the care and development and enjoyment of everything He owns as His stewards, we are responsible to manage His holding well and according to His desire and His purposes. Now we know that no one can be 100% faithful. Nobody can do that. Nobody's perfect. Right? God is not looking for perfection. He is looking for responsible stewardship. He is looking for faithful stewardship, doing our best under the circumstances, under the time, and that will be acceptable to God. For those of you who are serving, for those of you holding a position, for those of you holding some responsibilities, that's what it's God calling for, to be faithful, to do your best under the circumstances and give Him the glory. And you know what? Since all that we have belongs to Him, you want to make sure that you read the manual from the Creator. You want to read the manual from the Creator. Many of you buy some furnitures from a, a DIY uh, store or IKEA. Ikea. You know, most of the furnitures that they have is self-assembled. You could assemble that, right? For guys like me, for men like me, you know, just who, who needs manual, right? Simple stuff. You just put them together and find the screws and screw them up and then get the things, bookshelves and everything, you know, in order. And then you're like, what is that piece for? How come there's an extra piece? Ah, oh, assembly line problem. Assembly line problem. Okay? Manufacturers assembly lines issue. They forgot. You know, they make a mistake, they put in one more piece in there. That's why we have one more piece there. And then when you look, look at the furniture assembly, oh yeah, I think something is missing there. So you redo it. Read the manuals. Read the manuals. I mean, furniture is easy to take it out and put it back again. But human life, human being, okay, hearts of people, eternities of people, you can't just take off and take on and put on and put off. Make sure you read God's manual because all that we have is His. And His manual is clearly spelled out in God's Word as we continue to be responsible for all that stewardship. And thirdly, the third principle of accountability. Accountability. Matthew 25, verse 19. In Matthew 25, verse 19 says, Now after a long time, the master of the servants came and settled accounts with them. And you remember the context of the parables where Jesus talked about the parables of a master who gave five talents to this individual and two talents to that individual and one talent to another individual according to their capability, according to the competency. And then the master left and what? In verse 19. Now after a long time, sufficient time is given for the servants to invest, for the servants to work hard, to be responsible, to be faithful. Then he came back to settle accounts with them. Now, why do I have to settle the account? Well, because it's not yours. See, if you are the owner, you can do whatever you want. You can waste it, you can multiply it, you can give it away. You are the owner. Why do we even want to talk about accountability? Because that's not yours, people. It's not yours. God is the rightful owner of all that we have. It is all given. It is all on loan. There's an expiration date. 
How do you handle that? So the rightful owner will come back and say, hey, I delegated, I have given this to you. What have you been doing? What have you been working and investing and make it work better? And that's our responsibility to respond to him. Now, we are not allowed to rule over God's creation as we see fit, but according to the principles he has established, and we will be called to give an account of how we administer everything that has been given, including our time, our money, our abilities, information, wisdom, relationships, and authority. And we will all give an account to the rightful owner as to how well we manage the things that he has entrusted to us. You know, just a few weeks ago, July 17, you remember, uh, American Airlines mechanics, Alani, his name is Alani, he was upset with a stalled contract dispute between the union workers and American Airlines. So he sabotaged the American Airlines flight 365 by obstructing the computer system to delay or cancel the flight so that he can earn more overtime. That's what he said. And thank God that the error messages appear in the flight deck of Boeing 737-800 before it gets to the departure runway and the takeoff is, was aborted. And upon further investigation by the FBI and the recording, viewing the recording on the civilian video, Alani was arrested in Miami and charged with willfully damaging, destroying, disabling, and wrecking an aircraft and put 150 passengers' lives in danger because he was accountable to the company who hired him. He has a clear job description and he, out of his unhappiness, he changed the job description from giving a blessing to an airplane to destroying that or delaying that. He was kept accountable to all that. And we as well, who are on loan from God with all the resources, we will have to give an account to God someday. That's the principle of accountability. And four, the fourth principle, the principle of reward. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, it says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. If you look at the context, that was, Paul was teaching about how the slaves, how the servants should serve the masters. He said, do it to the Lord. Don't just go to work as if you are working for the employers, but do it to the Lord because ultimately you will get a reward from God. You know, that's truly amazing because all these are God's. All these are God's. You know, why would God even reward us, Right? We were just doing our duty, doing our responsibility. But out of God's love, He will reward us incompletely in this life, okay, but fully in the future, in the next life. So our desire is to hear the Master say, according to Matthew 25, verse 21, says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your Master's happiness. You know, these four principles are so essential to 
give generously to biblical stewardship. As we come together in this new church year to learn how to build a vibrant church together, the principle of ownership is so essential. Understand that everything is on loan to us. And the principle of responsibility calls us to be faithful in whatever we are delegated. The principle of accountability teaches and reminds us that ultimately, this is, these are not ours. We need to give a report. We need to give an appraisal. We need to give uh, ultimately back to what the Master requires of us. And yet, God in His goodness and mercy, He allowed us to have rewards in the process. So I truly believe that a vibrant church is indicated by our commitment to give generously when we apply the principles of biblical stewardship that are based on God's creation. The doctrine of creation is the basis of biblical stewardship. That's you and me. Now, how do we reply that message today? I want to share four parts with you today. One, our talents. Out of the resources, our talents. You know, I often feel that as a Chinese church, as we gather together here and with other groups and other ethnics uh, coming together to build this church together, um, we have a concentration of professionals in our midst. We value education, we work hard, and then just look down from the stage and look at all of our people. We have different professionals. And not only that, but we are all endowed by the Holy Spirit with the spiritual gifts that God has given at the day of our salvation so that we can serve the church. And therefore, it is, it is an indicator of a vibrant church as we will learn how to give generously and to share with those who are less resourceful. You know, as our short-term mission teams continue to go out, one of the goals by 2025, we hope to achieve five mission partners. Meaning, if there is a church, existing church, a good church, a Bible-believing church exists in that mission field, we, we don't want to duplicate that because they know the language, they know the culture, they have the network. Well, we can still go and learn, but it takes a long time to understand and to fully immerse in the culture. Then we work together. They give the best, they have the language, they have the culture, they have the relationships and the network. We, we have resources. We rally our engineers together and say, hey, let's go and build something. Let's go and help that Bible college in a developing country to build their dormitories. Hey, let's go and fix all the you know, damages that they have uh, experienced. Let's go and beefed up their facility. We call all the educators together and say, hey, they have a youth center right there. Let's go and teach them something because we love passionately. We love God and people passionately and we want to live authentically, so we go. And, and these are the plans as we connect with different places. We look at Mongolia and say, could Mongolia be a, a mission partner that we are looking at? We look at Panama and say, could Panama be a mission partner? Just six hours flight from here, almost like going to the East Coast, and many of our professionals can be mobilized. The, the medical teams can be mobilized. The educators, um, the, the finance people, the IT professionals, the engineers, they can be mobilized and continue to use what God has given us, our professions, our training, and put that to good use and put that to mission field. And we hope that by doing that, not just 80 people, 100 people, 
they will go to mission fields year after year. But the whole congregation can be mobilized using what God has given us as a training to bless other people. But more importantly today, I want to challenge you and me, the everyday missionary in the marketplace. Okay, you go to work, most of you are still working actively, and, uh, and your work is your vocation. God doesn't call everybody to be missionary, God doesn't call everybody to be pastors, but God calls all of us to have a sense of vocation. Your work is your vocation. You spend about one-third of your life in the marketplace, in your work. You spend more time with your office people, with your colleagues, than you spend time with even your family and even with the church family. And yet God has provided that platform for us as an educator and IT professionals or medical, finance, business, you know, restaurants and places like that. And, and it is usually meaningful and fulfilling, but sometimes it is challenging as well. Sometimes you encounter strained relationships and power struggles and tensions and conflicts. And of course, uh, layoff can threaten your li livelihood and self-esteem. But this is the place that God can put you in to reflect your attitude and your work ethics. Your relationship with boss and colleagues and how you deal with setbacks and office politics and how you handle personal crisis and disappointment and broken relationships. You are right in the midst of that marketplace where people are seeing how you respond to all that and how you deal with loneliness and frustrations and stress. You are a witness. God has placed you there. I really want to encourage you and challenge you to be an everyday missionary. I know we have been seeing that for so long now that, that every time when we exit the front gate and the back gate here, there's a sign on the, on the, on the ground that says, you are entering the mission field, remember? That's a great reminder. You are actually entering the mission field. That when we come back together, we gather together to worship God, to receive God's word, to empower us as we go out. We go out as an everyday missionary. Your work has only begun. <laughs> Your work has only begun to live out, to be the doers of God's word. You know, it's so powerful. That's what God can do to use our talents for His purpose. But in the midst here, in our midst here, I also want to challenge some of the 50 plus individuals. Those 50 and older, you know, I just want to challenge you that this is your payback time. In your second half of the game, that's all you have, right? You have the first half, and then you have the mid course, okay? Uh, you, you took a break, reevaluate, then you go to the second half. Second half is all you have. The end. <laughs> the end game. That's it. You have borrowed time from God on loan to you to build your family and career. It's payback time. How would you factor that in? Using your talents to give back to God. Using your talents to pay back to what God has given you and on loan to you. But I want to call all of you who are working today to pray for your workplace. I don't know if any of you are praying for your workplace, for your work environment, for your colleagues. Pray for them. Pray for them. You are part of that team. You are part of the workforce. Pray for them. Pray against negative sentiments. Pray against a hostile atmosphere. 
Pray against unhealthy competitive spirits. Pray against gossips and backstabbing, which so often and so uh, demoralizing to the company and to the workplace that you belong to. Introduce positive energies by manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-discipline. Inject positive elements into positive energies into your marketplace because you are a witness and God has given you resources to do that. Make sure you manage your talents well. And secondly, our treasures. We talk about tithes and offerings. Remember, everything belongs to God and He asks only 10% of our expression of faith in God and expression of our love for God. That's what we give. Expression of our love for God, expression of our faith in God. You know, someone asked me, why 10%? You know, why 10%? Tithes means 10%. Why 10%? You know, someone helped me to see that from a very different light. And he says, maybe the question is a wrong question. Maybe the question should be, why not 90%? Because these are God's. He's the owner of our financial resources. He owns everything. Why not 90%? But God, out of His kindness and goodness, knowing that we need the other 90%, He asked for 10%. So it's not so much about before tax or after tax or take home or net incomes and all that thing. It is what is the respectful way we give to God, to honor God in what He has given me on loan to me, and I'm giving back a fraction of that to honor Him. I want to encourage you to start early, to start early to learn how to tithe an offering uh, to God, learn to live within your means, and save for the rainy days. All, all these are good financial, uh, you know, good practices that you have heard so many times already. I don't need to reiterate that. Um, but this is one of the best indicators of where your passion is. Uh, our management of our finance is one of the best indicators of where your passion is. Because Matthew 6, 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I know finance is not everything, okay? but it is something. It is the best indicator of where your heart is, where your passion is. And along with that, I think in our church, we also have such treasure as human treasure, where... Our church is blessed to have nine pastors and four interns and five office staff, one full-time, the other four part-time. We want to share, we want to share our treasures in human uh, investment with other people as well. So we encourage our pastors to go and preach and help other churches. Some of the churches don't have pastors and they are short of manpower. So, so sometimes Pastor Handy will go and preach in a retreat uh, FCBC, Fountain Valley, or other places. Kevin will go to the middle school around this area and speak to the Bible club as a way to serve them, also as a way to connect with them. Uh, the church allowed me to go uh, one month out of the year to bless. I just went to Germany. I went to uh, uh, Mongolia and places like that so that we can bring blessings to them as well. And of course, we need to make sure that our commitment and our priority is always FCBC Walnut. And before we go, we also make sure that we communicate and make sure that we have 
all the things in order and delegated and make sure that those who are left behind here are able to handle the work well. And we must make sure that not everybody leaves at the same time and we have enough manpower stay here. But this is one way that we can share. We can share and give generously to others who are in need. And thirdly, our time. Our time. How do we manage our time when we are called to be a good steward? You know, when we talk about time, we are all on level ground. Talents, we can be different. Okay? And even finance, you know, we can be different. Some of you are more, are better with that, you know. But in terms of time, we are on level ground. Everybody has 24, 7, 3, 6, 5. Except on the leap year, you have 3, 6, 6, right? Everybody has 24, 7, 3, 65. We have equal, equal share of the time. The only difference is how you manage your time. All the time that we have is God's. But He asks only one-seventh of your time. We have seven days in a week, and the Lord says, this is the Lord's day. In the early church, when they gather together and say, this is the Lord's day, it means today belongs to the Lord. God asks for one-seventh of our time as we use our time for the glory of God. You know, oftentimes, as you look at your time management, you have to look at your priorities. What are your priorities? What are your values? Just looking at your time schedule is a reflection of your priorities and your values. And we learn not only look at priorities and values, but we also learn how to care for things at different fronts. I believe all of us has to take care of not just one thing, not just family, not just work, but all of them. But how do you manage it well? And in different seasons, how do you adjust accordingly so that you are able to meet all the needs in your life? If you go back today and look at your timetable, how you spend your time, and you can tell clearly what is your priority and what is your value in there. And finally, we must give ourselves. Because unless we are willing to give ourselves as a living sacrifice, as Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, to give yourself as a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable to God, and, and this is our, our worship, and this is our service to God, then talents and treasures and time will not be freely given. It starts from the heart. It starts from your willingness to surrender yourselves to God. Why even surrender? Because everything we have belongs to God, including ourselves. 1 Corinthians 6 says, You were bought with a price. For you were bought with a price. The price that Jesus gave on the cross. So glorify God in your body. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So we surrender. And once we surrender, then everything, the talents, the treasures, and the time, they all come together as a package when we surrender our heart to Him. You know, that's biblical stewardship. How do you respond to the call and the principle of owner of everything, that God is the owner. You know, today I challenge you to relook at how you spent your finance, 
to relook at how you manage your time, to relook at how you use resources, your financial resources, and how you use your talents. Relook at that, because when you look at that, it clearly states your priority. It clearly states your value. It clearly states who is the owner. Whether God is the rightful owner or you are actually the owner, and if that's the case, then you know we need to realign. We need to realign because God is the rightful owner, and we are the stewards. We are the manager, and we will need to give an account to Him. So be aligned. Be aligned with the owners of everything, including you and me. Let's pray together. Our God, we are so thankful today, as we come to the Bible, and to be guided by what it means to be biblical stewardship. Thank you for reminding us that again, you are the rightful owner of all that we have, and including ourselves. And it is our responsibility to be faithful. It is our responsibility to give an account. It is our responsibility to come before God and make sure all that has been given. Will be rightfully and fully utilized for your glory, and Lord, we have expiration date, and therefore, as we come before you, we want to really align with you as soon as possible. Really align with you when you begin to convict in our hearts for what we need to respond through this message. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, then we pray. Amen. Amen.